Hey, everybody. How's it going? Welcome to JU Israel's The Teacher's Lounge podcast, where we try to keep you connected with Israel, what's going on, and make you feel like you're here, even if you're not. I'm here, of course, as always, with my co-host, Alan Goldman. How's it going, Alan? Post-Pesach frenzy. It's going awesome. That's it. Are you enjoying your chametz? Oh, yeah. Especially as a vegetarian. I guess Pesach must have been a little bit difficult for you. Well, whenever we be, invite people over, we say, no meat, no kidneys, and no gabrucks. Wow. So basically, you've been eating potatoes. Onions. Onions. Pota- oh, I thought I smelled that. Yeah. Onion soup on, on Yantif and Shabbos. It's nice. I'm sure it is. Actually, Baruch Hashem, my wife is an unbelievable, unbelievable cook. Nobody ever goes away complaining. I absolutely believe you. Although, I do enjoy... Uh, we made shepherd's pie this year. That was a pace off oh. for us, yeah. Um, we are sitting in Kfar Etzion, overlooking beautiful hothouses and hills and terrace farming and all sorts of cool things. And uh, we wanted to sort of broaden out our discussion this week. Getting back, it's time to get back to... Uh, some broader concepts rather than responding to things actually have been pretty quiet here in Israel. I don't know if that's because of Pesach or not. I guess it's how you define quiet, right? Yeah, yeah. like what? There was uh, an attack over Pesach. Uh-huh. A British student, uh, unfortunately, was was murdered on light rail in Jerusalem. We had a car ramming yesterday that failed, and, you know, hurt, injured a person. But a few yeah. meters from here, a yeah. few meters from where we are now. Yeah, but it, but in terms of deeper political issues, I think things have been. Uh, Bibi got yelled at by. Uh, well, you've also because the world is uh, focusing on other things like North Korea, Syria, uh, Iran. <laughs> Thankfully, that's beyond the scope of what we're <laughs> yes. expected to cover on this podcast. I'm sure we could talk about that for a few hours, but that's not a uh, keeping us in the background. I think in some ways. Yeah, of course, all those things relate to Israel one way or another, especially obviously Syria, but even how policy towards North Korea and how the global situation shifts of course of course those things all have bearing on israeli politics no i mean the other keeps us out of like international news when all these things are being talked about i think no it's true but we're but but we're focused anyway that's our focus we don't we're not responding to international news we're focused on from in the inside what's important to us but today i think (coughs) would you excuse me would you sort of frame what you want to talk about today um, so when we're talking about sort of the bigger picture, sort of like um, more of a meta discussion about what we're teaching, who we're teaching, and what people really, really struggle with with Israel. What, what are people not getting about Israel? We feel um, very often we find that, and I think this is pretty common, that we feel this dissonance, this, this strange feeling of you hear people talking about Israel, you think, and this is, by the way, not just <clears throat> college-age students, I think this is adults as well. You know Israel's side, and yeah, you feel like they're making points that I feel a little fishy about. I don't understand what people don't understand. I think, you know, so people often just say, well, it must be just anti-Semitism, which I think isn't sufficient to explain the phenomenon of why people don't understand Israel. And I think if... if yeah, and especially when we're really talking about, um, I think, people who really love Israel and Zionists who don't understand and I have very a lot of difficulties with things they hear that are that are true yeah they're bothered by things also information that they don't know what to say about even though they feel they respect Israel you're hearing all this talk about people in <clears throat> in uh, the states at Europe who like Israel saying you're going to lose us 
because of what's going on, which to me is a very strange, troubling statement to begin with. By the way, even John Kerry in his last speech kind of categorized it like that. As much as we all jumped on right. him in this and that, he's just like, I'm a friend. I believe in the state of Israel. I think he's he's honest about that. I don't think he, he's being dishonest. I think he's also I also think he's being honest. I think many Jews hear what he's saying and say, Well he's being dishonest. He really doesn't like Israel. And I, I think I think there is a breakdown of communication. Uh, I and I think we I don't think un- doesn't exactly doesn't understand what he doesn't understand is what we're talking about. And we don't understand what he doesn't understand. What I what I think is I think that means that there are things we don't understand well. If we can't if we if we can't immediately say, Here's what you're not getting then that means we don't understand something to explain it. My teachers always said that to me. Oh, I know it. I just can't explain it. Well, you if you can't explain, you don't understand. That always made me crazy, but I think it's true. So what is it that we're, we're, we're not explaining? What is it? Well, let me put it to you a different way. I don't like explaining because explaining means it seem like, oh, if you just understood this. I think it's deeper than that. Right. Explaining is defensive. Explaining is, let me explain to you why we're doing something, but it's a ju- it sounds like justifying. Yeah. And we don't feel we have anything to justify. We're really talking about if you understand the deeper ideas, then things flow from there. And you don't have to justify because it, it makes sense, actually. And it means that when you do something wrong or something's wrong, that's okay because the deeper idea is, is valid and solid. And okay, so then you, the mistakes that happen or things you do wrong. Or, or So can you give me an example of a symptom that you see that Jews are missing some of this big picture that would help them articulate and explain well let's leave it explain but part of the reason they're having trouble our argument is therefore this we think that many jews are having trouble understanding the big ideas of why israel is here the big ideas of zionism and therefore they're caught off guard when trying to articulate that to people what are your symptoms that you see of that one is that i believe that most people i come into contact with can't really good give a good definition of what are the Jews. That's a problem. That the definition of Jews itself is a confusing definition. Yeah. I would also say that if I and you know I guess the listener in their head is is working on that right now. But I would also say if I say why do the Jews need a state and leave out as a shelter. Because the shelter answer obviously you could be anywhere. And can you answer that question without bringing any religious ideas in? Uh, you want me to answer that now? No, or I'm saying I think I think I think people generally, and I've found, and it's anecdotal, obviously, but I found in my experience, people turn to somehow religion gets caught up in the answer, which they understand. Which answer to which? To Why which? should the Jews have the state of Israel? Yeah. Well, no, I, I mean I find it much more, uh, and I guess it's relevant to talk about it today about the, the Holocaust answer. Right. That's the first go-to. Um, well, you know, and, and and almost like then it's, it's almost like a subconscious comparison to the Puritans, and you know, going to America, they fled. By the way, I, that to me is actually another strong symptom. I've noticed a lot of Jews. I'm talking about pro-Israel Jews. I'm not talking about yeah. people in the pro-Israel Jewish camp. Have said to me, students, adults. Well, people aren't complaining that the Americans have to give North America back to the natives. So why are they complaining that Israelis have to give Israel back to Arabs? To which I always say, the Europeans who came to America weren't from North America. That's that's not a good analogy. But why why do people who love Israel 
forget that we are the indigenous people of this land. To be able to formulate that metaphor means there's a misfire. For that metaphor to make sense to you at all means that you don't have a total grasp of the, the, the idea of Zionism, in my opinion. Look, well, well, how do most people really conceive of, of Jews, conceive of their identity in the, in the modern world and, and of history? Very few really relate back to 2,000 years ago being in the land of Israel. As, as I'm talking about a personal identity. My personal identity is where my grandparents were from, my great-grandparents maybe. You know, m much further than that back, we don't really know. We don't really, really think about. So if you ask me where am I from before I got to America, I'm going to say Poland. Well, it, 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 that, so that I think that that's the core of it, of an answer to why people are thinking that way. Well, I would say, I would say yeah, I, I think that's true in general, that people don't think ex people's identity and thoughts are not built on the study of history for most people it's built on their personal experience and in your personal experience you have contact with elements of your history but that you've interacted with in your lifetime and those are very real to you i do think that zionism does take a historical perspective and to be a zionist means you do have to a certain extent reckon with a nation that's been, that's been alive for thousands of years had its home here and i do think people have trouble with that that's why i think if you're thinking in just a you know three four generations i think that's why people see what israel is as similar to what happened you know in the united states with with the puritans and and, and that's and again it's a, a misunderstanding of what the jews are and, and and it goes back to that that most i think jewish people can't answer that question and how does the how does nation and peoplehood relate to religion and culture and ethnicity when we're talking about ourselves and who we are? So I think so. Let's start trying to cut through the confusion. Let's see. Let's sort of you and I. I think pretty much agree on our big ideas that we think are a necessary paradigm shift. We think the the big ideas that we think should be in the conversation to dispel the ability to think of that Native American model. Palestinians are like Native Americans. Israelis are like white, white Europeans. Colonialists. That colonialists. That thinking is the problem. And if a Jew can't think, doesn't like immediately in his guts feel why that's different than that. So how do we formulate it? You want to start with what the Jews are. Yeah. And let's be fair. Let's be fair because I don't think we can say this is the world's approach to what the Jews are. I don't think it's even fair to say this is the Jews' approach to what Jews are. The Zionist approach to what Jews are. Correct. What does Zionism say the Jews are? One word. Nation. Yeah. A nation. Yeah. A religion shares a belief in a deity. It shares rituals. It shares spiritual ideas. It can share values. And Judaism... Is a, is a religion, however you define that, the religion of the Jews. But a nation shares a land and language and culture. In our case, the culture. So the Jews, which comes from the word Judean, which comes from the people of Judea, the Jews are that nation. The nation that had a government, the nation that... Had a culture, which was all very much based in the religion. Well, it expressed itself for many people. If you, I mean, if you look at the... No, I'm talking ancient-wise. Ancient even Second Temple period, for a lot of people, their Jewish identity 
you see a, an expression of lots of different formats of Jewish identity. It's it's funny because in antiquity, I, yeah, but even in antiquity, it was really always played off on terms of religion, right? But I, I wonder about that because I don't know. Like for instance, I don't know if in antiquity people made that distinction. Like for instance, let's say I walked up to a gr- ancient Greek in Athens, and I say, "Is being Greek?" Let's say I spoke ancient Greek, which I, I don't. We, for the purposes of this analogy, I'm now speaking in ancient Greek. And I said to him, hey, fellow, hail and hearty, whatever. I don't know how to sound like ancient Greek. But I would say to him, you're a Greek. I am my people. Is that because you're from Athens or is that because you're one of the people who worship Zeus? Like, what is it your nationality, your polis that defines you as an Athenian, as a Greek? I, I don't know that those he would say I don't know what you, that's Greek. Yeah, you're talking modern. It's a, you're, it's a little it's right. But that's it. Modern. I think in modern we we are an old enough people that our nation formed at a time when such distinctions weren't meaningful. We still exist in the modern world, and so suddenly those distinctions are meaningful, and so we are confused about ourselves. Yeah, but even you formed it in you know is your identity. Do I worship Zeus or not? So that's what I meant by religion. Right. If I said to an ancient culture. Greek, no, that's what I'm saying. Is, is, is your Greekness defined by your land, language, or culture? No, we know the culture of the ancients. Maybe we're doing too much of the same talent, uh, uh, tangent. But, you know, the, the Colosseums or thing, uh, right. the things like that that were in Eretz Israel very clearly. That's from the Romans that yeah. brought us those things. But I'm saying, I'm, I'm saying just saying, when culture, we make a distinction between religion and nation, I don't know that that was a, a meaningful distinction in antiquity because every nation had its own religion. And so that's part of, it's like, it would be like, religion would be like saying culture. That's what I was saying. Yeah. No, that was my point. Yeah, then we're agreeing, yeah. even though we didn't notice. Yeah. That, and I did it towards your end there. That, that, that's exactly what I was saying. I was saying the culture of, uh, of the Jewish people was expressed in their religion. The culture of every nation was yeah. expressed in its religion. Yeah, sure. right. In antiquity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But that was normal. That's just what it was. I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm, and, and this should not surprise anybody. Like... Like we, we use the language of nation all the time. When God chooses Abraham, even in the Bible, he says, I will make you into a great nation. That's the first thing in, the, in, in, in Lech Lecha. When God chooses Abraham, he says, go to the land I will show you. He uses Goy, I think. You will be a great, Goy Gadol, a great nation. Which I think great nation is probably the best translation. So as soon as Abraham is introduced, you're already, he's introduced as the father of a great nation. That's interesting that... I'm not a linguist. You're more into that, but like the difference between Am and Goy, yeah. And when that distinction comes, I don't know. Well, we're gonna sort of do an aerial conversation. Yeah. We're not going to go into the details of yeah. this, but it's. Uh, but you're right. I, I, I don't know. In the Hebrew itself, you have Am yeah. Uma Goy. Goy. Now in modern Hebrew, Luum. Right. Malchut will come up. A Malachet Kohani, the Goy Kadosh, comes, you know, a, a, a nation. Yeah, you see why it's so difficult for us in the modern world to still conceive of who we are and to define who we are. And that's why the Zionist movement came along. And the Zionist movement was exactly trying to do that. It was trying to make, um, uh, in, in modern language, uh, relevant the concept of the Jewish people. Yeah, well, or, or, and to a certain extent, remind modern us. Philosophy, not only modern pol- political philosophy. By the way, and we never forgot it. Like when I always say to my students, like when you were in Ghan, they used to sing this song, something Yisrael Chai, something, and the kids always go, Am. Yeah. Right, yeah. We all, we all said it. And by the way, we also, the religion. Well, I, I use David Melch Yisrael, Chai Vikayam more. Right. Because that 
was the the probably thing that's been around longer as an idea, right? The, this Since, idea, uh, the second temple, yeah, period. second temple period, and this idea that that well, not, of the, not the tomb, the, <laughs> the sovereignty, the, the the concept of sovereignty, um, is clearly connected with the idea of a nation, right? Religions don't have a government; nations have a government. Um, look, the fact that we always say, we always say, well, you're not born with a religion. You are born with a nationality. You can change your religion. You can't change your nationality. You can betray your nation. You can be. You well, know. that's funny because in the modern world, I can because I can drop my my, you know, I guess in citizenship. The, the difference, the distinction between citizenship and nation. Yeah, it's confusing also. But even so, in the Second Gulf War, what was that guy's name? John Walker Lynn. When when the U.S. troops were fighting the Taliban troops, right. and they rounded up a bunch of these guys, prisoners of war. Right. And they discovered one of them was an American from California who renounced his citizenship. He was not put with the other prisoners. He was brought to the United States to stand trial for treason for aiding and abetting the enemy during time of war. Even though he had renounced his citizenship. Because in the modern conception of na nationhood, it is unbreakable. And I mean, I'll throw... Uh, so two things I kind of throw into the pot here, which, again, keeps things confusing. But it's the conversations I have with my students which keep things confusing. So one is a clarifying thing. When I talk about this, I say, okay... The fact that we're a nation, I'll prove it to you. For instance, right? What about an atheist? Is he still right. a Jew? Right? Well, he doesn't believe in the deity. Well, and what and what makes it the fact that we can sit in the same room, Orthodox and conservative, form atheist, any other idea you can come up with, and we can all proclaim to be Jews and work together? Well, I'll put it. I'll put it the other side of that coin. And this is: I am now portraying a character of a Christian. I am not a Christian. But if a Christian were to say to you the following sentence, I am. This is you, you met my. This is for my uh, new show that I'm taking on the road. Mike plays different characters. Uh, this is my guy who's a Christian. So if, the following sentence: Does this is this? <laughs> no, but I'll say it. Well, I'm thinking in Latin when I say it, but I'm saying it in English. I am a good Christian, and I am a complete atheist. Does that sentence make any sense? I don't think it does. I can say I'm a good Jew and I'm an atheist, and that's a meaningful sentence. Be and, and we wonder why that is. We know there's this thing of cultural Judaism. We know that most Jews... Well, political Judaism. Zionism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's the thing I think that's a clarifying note. And I think people usually get that, and I think that that's true. You know, it's funny. I think people intellectually get the yeah. point that Zionist reigns as a nation, but it doesn't sink into their bones no, because it comes back. Forget it in the next class. Yeah. Well, it's not that they forget the idea. It's that it, they haven't digested it. It's not in their bones. And, I, and here's why I think it really matters. I think this issue underlies really like 90-something percent of the conversations. Religions don't get their own states. Nations get their own states. So there's no there are there are obviously countries that are predominantly Christian, predominantly Muslims. There's even Iran, for instance, is a theocracy. Saudi Arabia is more or less a theocratic monarchy. But they're Saudis, they're Persians. They have their state because of their thing, and they choose for that to be or their revolutionaries turned it into, or for whatever reason it ends up being a theocracy. But in the in the world modern world of nation states, a religion doesn't get to stand up and go, I want my own state where I want it. Way, Nations the do. The world generally looks down on theocracies. And I think you rightly know. so. I think that's a problem. But here's the confusing part of all this discussion that we're having now that my students hit upon. And I think that that's, and it, it, I don't, it's part of the confusion. And that is, well, what about an Israeli 
who is not a Jew? How, where do they fit into the nation? So they just happen to have a political status of citizenship, but they don't belong to the nation. So is there no Israeli Israel Israeli nation? Or? Well, the fight, the fight, and the, you know that's an interesting question. That when the founding fathers decided that the name of the state of Israel should be the state of Israel, yeah. they consciously chose between that and Judea, yeah. which in some ways would have made life more simple and of course also more complicated but they their decision essentially was when they founded the state should we name it what it was first named when the doors opened when joshua came to the country and they called it israel or should they name it with the door when the doors closed when the romans shut it down and it was called judea and they went with what it was called when the doors are open which leaves us with this funny well, it was also clearly a you know a zionist track because the zion secular zionists were in a sense trying to get rid of diaspora years, which oh. are connected to, you know, Judea. Judea. Well, there's all sorts of reasons why they chose yeah. what they chose, but you end up, because of that, having... Yeah. Well, here's another example. People don't understand the law of return. The law of return says that any Jew who comes off the plane... I used to say come off the boat, but we don't come on boats. Uh, well, he gets I'd off... Like to, I did once. Yeah? Yeah. I want to go to the... I want to, yeah, I want to sail the Mediterranean. But anyway... Uh, we are accepting donations if you want to buy on a boat. That's a cool gig. But if listeners want to chip in to buy us a yacht, we will do. We promise to do at least some of our episodes from the yacht. Uh, definitely, I want to do one in the Suez Canal. I want to go down to the Suez Canal. You're a daring fellow. Um, but my now that I <laughs> raise the point of the law of return, any 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 Jew who gets off the airplane has the right to say to the state. I want citizenship in the state of Israel, even if it's my first day, first day setting foot on the ground. And the state legally says, sure, within a day or two, you can have your papers and be a citizen of the state of Israel. You don't have to naturalize the way a foreigner would in another country. If you get off the plane in the United States and say, I want to be a citizen, then you have to get a green card and go through a process. It takes whatever it is, seven, nine years, I don't know. And Israel has naturalization also, but Jews get a don't have to wait online. Their citizenship is automatic. And many people feel, well, that's discriminating based on religion. How come people... Uh, or racist. We use the word term racist a lot. Yeah. How come... So you see Zionism is racism. People who are of the Jewish faith get automatic citizenship. But if you're a Christian or a Hindu or a Muslim or a Sikh, you don't. And they're, they're completely missing the point. Citizens of Judea, whose nation was destroyed... Ended up, we are not the only nation in history to be sent into exile. We are, however, the only nation in the history of planet Earth to survive and remain coherent through their exile. No matter how far you spread them out, the Jews maintained a coherent national identity. Using religion, by the way, as that cement to bind them together, they retained that national identity. Now that the third state has reopened, the state of Israel says, well, now we're open for business. So now you can cash in those chips and be a citizen automatically. It's not it's not Jews as opposed to so I, Christians. I, it's uh, Jews as opposed to Irish or Italian or Mexican or Cambodian or well, Chinese. I, I explain it like this. My children, who were born in the state of Israel, are American citizens by virtue of the fact that they're born to parents who are American citizens. My granddaughter has an American passport, and she's never left. Uh, she's never entered... The Western Hemisphere. Is that right? Where's Australia? Southern. Southern Hemisphere, but I think it's East. 
but I think it's black. Well, she's never been to North America, but she's a citizen of the United States of America because my daughter is, because she inherited her citizenship. Nationality is inherited. Exactly. Religion isn't. Religions have exactly. confirmations. You and join we, them by right. thought. And therefore, we Jews have, have passed down our nationality from generation to generation. Now we're coming back to our nation. So, But it's genuinely confusing. So diaspora, right, because, because diaspora Jews have to not be looked at as, as members of religion, but as expats. Right. Essentially. They're expats, essentially. They, they are... And as well, to a certain extent, they're refugees. Zionism says if you don't live in Israel, you're a refugee. Right. You were chased out by the Romans, by different things, and right. now you can come home to your national which, government which is, state. Which is, by the way, when this whole controversy, well, what about the Jewish refugees from 1948? Well, the state of Israel never fought for them to be recognized as, as refugees in the UN, and nobody really thought about it back then because you can't be a refugee if you're coming home. They you were mean, a refugee, uh, you mean why weren't the Jews from Arab countries and from European countries, why didn't they get some sort of special treatment yeah. as refugee status because they were forced from Europe and the Middle East and North Africa yeah. to live in Israel? Because they were coming home. You can't be a refugee when you come home. They were unrefugeeing. Yeah. So therefore, and so Zionism had a clear take on that. There was no reason to try and fight for them to be refugees. Um, and that's also why eventually the state of Israel settles them in permanent homes and doesn't keep well them after in. the economy being crippled by tripling the population in size yeah. and yeah and after them and sitting in refugee camps for many years or in whatever kind of camps you want to call right. them mob or and those and that's things. partially why Ben Gurion made a deal with the German state reparations yeah. from the Holocaust because it helps finance the right. huge a massive unemployment but, but behind all that big I it was the big idea that they're not refugees they are expats coming home or refugees as you say they were former refugees who are now home and now we have to help them settle properly after their 2000 year wandering. and the state has an incentive system of of trying to woo expats back that knows that in many countries the the refugees of judea live in relative comfort in, in sometimes easier economic situations and so the state offers all sorts of rights that if you come back we'll give you a financial and social all sorts of ease on your burden to make it easier for you to return home. That's how Zionism frames the story. And again, I think when people misunderstand that that's the story of Zionism, which is the story of the state of Israel, that's what the Declaration of Independence is claiming. You can agree with it. You can disagree with it. But don't say that the state of Israel sees it differently than that. Don't say that the state, don't say that the state of Israel sees itself as European colonialists who took up land from the indigenous people. The state of Israel sees itself as indigenous people returning home. And, and I, I am not surprised that people are confused by this, because when you an example of one, we very often, when we try to understand something, we go, well, let me give you an analogy. There is no analogy. This is the only time in the history of the human race that a nation, A, survived exile. Exile is death. That's how you kill a nation. And B, after millennia, now says, well, now we're going to come back and rebuild our government. There's no other nation in the world that has a similar case. And why are Jews, Jews uh, um, confused about this, especially in the diaspora, especially we'll, we'll focus on North America because that's um, our best experience? I had thought of this over, I was thinking about this over Pesach, right? Jews in North America relate to Israel like they relate to their Judaism in America. What is the expression of their Judaism in America is more or less religious, for most Jews, you have some cultural and some type, but most Jews are related to, and in fact, they see Israel as their synagogue. They come here, right, to express their connection with that religion, and that's why Jews from America, places like 
you know, when a Jew from America comes, will come and obviously, you know, they have to go to the Kotel very often, at least once, right? And like, you understand what I'm saying? It's yeah, like, I, I think, like, by the way, and this is obviously a topic for another podcast, I think, I think this is some of why Reform and Conservative Judaism just has trouble getting traction here in Israel. And, and uh, in other words, for, for Jews in North America or the diaspora in general, if religion is your connection to your Jewish identity, then you need to find a mode of expressing that culture in a way that makes sense to you. So you have different versions of what Judaism is in order to create a Jewish identity that's meaningful for you, that represents your value system and your belief system and the practice that you want. In Israel, your Jewish identity is your nationality. That's it. When it comes to religion, I'll do as much as I want, but I know what religion is. I don't need to redefine religion in order to express my na- my my Jewish identity. I think that's part of the misfire. No, I, I think your 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 religion is being redefined for you. Now, so I always like to think like you know, Rosh Hashanah. When those of us who are Orthodox are or or, or other expressions of religious identity, conservative form, mostly spending time in the synagogue and going to things. Most Israelis are out having barbecues and going to the beach and going to parks and stuff like that. They're also but going on motorcycle treks and. I'm saying yeah, and that, that's or leaving Israel for because a long weekend and this and that. Right. That's kind of an that's a cultural expression because they're doing that at the beginning of the new year. That's the New Year holiday. And they're taking it like people around the world celebrate New Year's. They are, but they don't need to call what their expression is a different... I agree with you that Jew- Israeli culture becomes Jew- Jewish culture. They call it Rosh Hashanah. But, it, in other words, but you get my, do you get my point about why Reforming Conservative Judaism no, speaks to diaspora Jews but down to Israeli Jews? No, so I'm agreeing exactly yeah. that because they're saying, oh, I don't like, you know, my, my, it's, it's integral. The holidays I celebrate... Are are those of the Jewish calendar, right? right? Are those of the Israeli? And most Israeli calendar. Jews are not Orthodox. The vast majority of Israeli, like eighty percent, about eighty percent, eighty percent of Israeli well, Jews, a little bit less, uh, because you have about ten percent are Haredi, and I think something like seventeen percent fall into like the very long, wide spectrum of you know non-Haredi Orthodox. That reminds me of another symptom that I've noticed of why I think we're onto something. When I say to my students. Can you explain to me why Ben-Gurion believed in this state? Right. They go, and I say, now remember, he didn't believe in God. He wasn't religious. And he, and he was a Bible expert. Oh, a him. master. Right. So I he held sessions. Yeah, he so wrote articles. How can you be a, a Bible, biblical expert and understand the Bible and, and that be the basis of your Zionism in many ways and not believe in God? You know, it's funny. That I think actually it's easier for Israelis to understand. I think a lot of these things Israelis don't understand these things that we're talking about. But this I think actually Israelis do understand. because because that's what they learn it. That's how they learn it in school, I think. That's how they learn the Bible in school. I, I would also say that if you view this way, you know, Jews as a nation, then that it's very hard to talk about the nation of the Jews and not see Israel at the center of that conversation. But if you're talking about religion... Yeah, you don't need it. I mean, that was in, that was the whole shift in the Enlightenment. Why they started calling synagogues temples, right? Because you no longer needed the focus to be on a common ancestral uh, home. And I, I, you know, and and that's true. Orthodox conservative reform. Israel becomes like a little yeah. part of what Judaism is, but not central. Whereas, if you're looking at the Jews as in, to the religion, I think it is, by the way, central to the religion. But that's another discussion. Oh, you that's know, because you're Orthodox. Well, it is. I am Orthodox, and and the Torah is giving. 
the Torah is giving rules for how a nation should function, how it should set up governance, how it should, how it should celebrate right, national. If, right, but if you're most know. religions don't. Most religions don't have national rules right. for a particular land. The Torah does. The Torah says you need to be in this land. Right, but if you're reform and don't see those as okay. right, you know, then. You know, right, but that's why I'm saying it doesn't matter what branch of Judaism Even you're though, part. By the way, obviously, Reform Judaism is Zionist today and does. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, you're talking about the historically yeah. that the so initial you, Reform yeah. movement's response to Zionism was Berlin is our Jerusalem, yeah. but that's changed. Obviously, yeah. post Holocaust, you can't stick with Berlin is our Jerusalem. Obviously, you know, except it is like the growest. Like fastest growing Israeli and uh, Jewish city outside of Israel, or something out of that's know. true. But if you tune back to our episode with Mark about Aliyah, yeah. our Aliyah levels are higher than our Yerida levels. So even though we do have a phenomenon of leaving Israel, coming to Israel is in greater numbers, which is a good thing. Okay. Anyway, you wanted to move. You want to make one last point before we. Well, I, I think I think this idea of thinking nationally really is. We're, we're obviously not going to create our whole manifesto in this episode. I guess we'll have to, you know, trickle it out over different episodes. But this idea of Zionism means thinking about the Jews as a nation is so fundamental, is so central that Judaism is the cultural expression of the Jews, the religion of the Jews. If you're religious, and if you're not, then then it's you're whatever whatever your cultural expression. We can call that Judaism of one form or another, but. And we find that this is the biggest thing that students are missing when they come to us in Israel. Students and adults. Right. And, and, and it, it, it really, if you don't think of the Jews as a nation, then you don't understand why they deserve a state at all, let alone one in this land. But if they are a nation, every nation on earth deserves self-rule in its own land. So all we're, either we're asking for something exceptional and weird, because of the Holocaust, so we want special treatment, which is if you see us as a religion. Or we're asking for the same rights as any other nation on earth. And that that uh, uh, distinction is so important. And I, I will, uh, let's just end with this point. I think, and I think you had this experience too growing up, that when people would promote Aliyah, they would say, well, if you want to be playing on the field of the Jewish future, of building the Jewish future, of Jewish history, then you have to make Aliyah. If you don't make Aliyah, you're sitting in the bleachers. So, I, so yeah, I actually was. It was presented. Did you, did you have that? Yeah, but it was actually presented as like positive, a positive, like, like a team. Like you need all these different, you know, protagonists when it comes to a team. You need the fans. You need the players. The plans need the the fan. The players need those fans. To, you know. Uh, you're, you're presenting in a more... It's funny, and I'm point. really... Yeah, because I'm really wondering if it was presented to me differently or I heard it differently. Well, no, I don't know. So I went, you, you grew up in a more of an orthodox... I went to Flatbush. I, I went to... I was pluralistic, you know. Everything's good Judaism. You know what I mean? So it could just be the... Yeah, it's somewhere in the know? presentation or the hearing, or, or, and I don't know how to define that. But I, I think we also agree that that's not a helpful analogy. Absolutely. I, it's a harmful analogy. I, I agree. I think it's a harmful analogy to say Jews who live in the diaspora, you are in the bleachers. The real work is being done here in Israel. I don't think that's true. I think that, that, that moving the Jewish future forward, Israel, I think, is at the center, should be at the center of those conversations. Israel's future is the future for the Jewish people. But the, the Jews of the diaspora have an enormous stake in it. That's their homeland. The, the law of return swings both ways. And quite honestly, I mean, the 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 state the modern state of Israel has changed the nature of a Jew's identity today. 
So a Jew who's living in the diaspora has a has a has a identity that is connected to the state of Israel. So you can't say that it's separate. It, it, it's all part of the Jewish people. We can't. We can't. And our mission. The state can't claim this is yours. You have a part in this. You're 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 a citizen waiting to do his paperwork. We haven't done your paperwork yet, but we see you as a as a as a refugee, as an expat. We're just waiting to do your paperwork when you get home. We can't then turn around and say. But you're not allowed to have an opinion. You're not allowed to be involved in any way that we... You, In other words, you, you should have an opinion. You should feel, and you should be active in that regard. Now, when it comes to political issues, I do think there's a, there's a sensitivity issue. I mean, I can vote as an American. I can do an absentee ballot in America. If, living in Israel, I can vote in the American elections. Why shouldn't a Jew in the diaspora get to vote in Israel election? If we're saying that, if we're, saying we're all part of the Jewish people. They're essentially citizens. Why not? Well, even though there is no absentee ballot for even Israeli citizens. But, but let's say, let's say let's there say, was, yeah. leaping over that detail, hypothetically, let's say Israelis got to vote from abroad. Um, so I'll, I'll take your devil's advocate. Uh, well, they, they don't have skin in the game when it comes to uh, security issues. So I would argue there is skin. We know they are affected. French Jews in the, in the goal during the last Gaza conflict were like chased down the streets of France. I mean, they do have skin in the game. Okay. They, and the decisions are affecting them. They didn't do their paperwork and they don't pay taxes. So what, what, what if we have like a poll tax? You want to vote in the Israeli elections, you have to pay X amount of money to Israeli taxes. That, that's, that's solvable. That could say that, that those okay, but you have to solve it. I'm saying, I'm saying, yeah, but that that's uh, I mean, uh, in a technicality, we could do that. Okay, because they don't really follow Israeli current events or politics; they only have a vague notion, so they wouldn't be responsible voters. <laughs> yeah, that's all. <laughs> that's pretty much every citizen in any country is. You know, that's what democracy is based on, and certainly in Israel, you know, what are people voting on? I'll also make your argument for you. It could be that giving them the right to vote means that many of them would take Israeli politics more right. seriously because they see that as a responsibility. I, I, I don't think you're arguing that this is a practical step that should be taken no, no, any saying, point in the near future, right? No, no, not a. I don't think it's a practical step. But I think you're not saying let's work on this. Let's politically work on getting. No, no, but I'm just saying if we're going to be honest and we're going to argue that Jews in the diaspora should really be part of the Zionist mission. So we should think about what, like, you know, so if it's, it doesn't go one way. It doesn't mean, oh, you just have to go out and support Israel when Israel does something. You, you, have, to, you have the right to be involved. Right. I think that's an important thought experiment. I would even say maybe an obligation. Yeah. In other words, like, for instance, when I talk to my students, we teach, obviously, how to, you know, how to talk about Israel on campus. I say to my students, you know, 18-year-olds in Israel are drafted to military or national service. You also are drafted. You you know, this is your... I, I see this as your responsibility. You can choose to agree or disagree, but I see this as somewhat your responsibility as a member of the nation. You're equally responsible. You have a different job. Right. So that's what we're kind of arguing. And we say, it's not that you're fan, there's players and fans. We're all players. And and players have responsibility. And, look, and I would argue that there's and even... the team has responsibility to them, too. Absolutely. It works. All these things work both ways. There's no exactly. such thing as a one-sided coin. Um, and, I, and I would also say this. Look, uh, the, the statistic that always sticks in my head is in 1948, America had between 5 and 6 million jo Jews. Israel had about 600,000 Jews. In 2017, America has between 5 and 6 million Jews. And Israel has over 6 million. So to say, however you count it, no, America's under now. Well, 
No, and those last like few stuff. Two thousand ten. It depends how you. It depends how you count. The correct, number, correct, correct. But I think even in the broader counts, they're just under six. Even in the big and the pew thing. I think it's over six. Right. We can check. Right. Doesn't matter. The same. Grown ostensibly since nineteen forty eight. Right. Right. And that that to me that statistic whatever it is that America has been basically population stagnant at best, and Israel has. No, in the Western world, populations are declining. I mean, you know, there's less births and more deaths. Well, but if you're talking about a significant Jewish future and you are a betting person. Where is the Jewish future? I, I don't think that's really just a matter of perspective. I think that historically we have the data that says, and, and whether you're a Zionist or not, it's hard to argue that the future of the Jews is in the diaspora. Not that there won't be Jews in the diaspora, but the, the Jewish nation's future, I think, is centrally here. So to work on the Jewish nation's future, whether you live in Israel or not, is not the key issue. The key, issue, the key issue is, do you want to choose to be a participant in building the Jewish future from wherever you are? I mean, in general, in general, if you look at Jewish history, right, there's always, as one center is descending, another center is popping up in Jewish history for the Jewish people. The, the, there's nothing new about the, the, I agree with you, there's nothing new about this phenomenon other than the pendulum is now swinging back. Exactly, and that, that's clear that the, that the, that the, the, the pendulum has swung to the center to Eretz Israel ends of fake over the last 70 I, years. I would say a little differently that, that once you, the, the swing from Israel to, to Babylon, to Baghdad eventually, then gets broken once you hit around a thousand to a dispersion that is no more center as much anymore. You have you have Ashkenaz and Sfarad, and then you have well, but then there's all these little micro centers also. Yeah, but those micro Yemen and Italy continue. Eventually, they start absorbing some of the people from the two big centers. It, no, it's a comp. I would say it this way: you have a complex dissipation of power center or of national center, and th- and that today you have a you have. The, the the tide has turned, and now you have the beginning of uh, a re-centralization. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm not going to nitpick. I'm not going to nitpick. Yeah, we're just uh, saying, we're, we're quibbling. Right. But I, I do think it means two things. I think that, that one, uh, so I'll say something different. Uh, uh, agreeing with that, I'll say, and the ramifications that are also that there's always going to be a diaspora. There will always be small communities in the diaspora, even when there's a great centralization, because there always have been. I think every nation right. has expats. Not every nation has the majority of its people outside the country. No, That's think, weird. Right. That I don't think is sustainable. In other words, people very often have a discussion, how much does Israel need to do? Nobody asks, how many, does, does, does Italy need Italians in America? Because most Italians live in Italy. Yeah, there are Italians in America, and America's a funny country because... No, but, but what I'm saying is even when we, like, God willing, you know, it'll, the vast majority of Jews will be living in, in the land of Israel uh, in, in the future, you'll still have strong, I believe, strong Jewish communities, smaller, but strong, still strong Jewish communities, hopefully, in the diaspora, who, who are living as communities, not just yeah. like Italian expats, but as communities like we have today. Yeah, like, like America has. Yeah. America's one of, the com- one of the countries that has... That has uh, absorbed immigrants, but allowed them to retain vestiges of their where their their their, their nation where they came from, and even build communities based on that identity. There's Chinatown. There's Irish neighborhoods. There's Italian neighborhoods. There's all sorts of things like that. Uh, and and uh, but that's not abnormal in the 21st century. Again, what's abnormal is what is it? Forty something percent of Jews live in Israel. I think it's a little bit higher actually now, but 
I think we're getting close. Supposedly, in the next generation, we're supposed to up to forty-five percent or so. But whatever, yeah. So that's uh, weird. Oh, but weirder than that is it's not weird when you look at it's been the fact that, like you said yourself, six seventy years ago when we declared a state, a very small fraction of the Jews were living. Six hundred thousand out of out of uh, out of you know twelve million was how much you know. Right, but what I'm saying is. Everything about Israel is weird because it is an unprecedented historical event for a nation to return back to its homeland. There is no, there is no prototype. There's no precedent. And so we all have trouble wrapping our head around it. And let's be honest, since, since Europe emancipated its Jews in the 18th and 19th centuries, Jews have been encouraged to say, well, I'm a French citizen. I'm a French national of the Mosaic faith. By the way, we didn't even we didn't even get into that, Hal. Basically, that's, you know, the Enlightenment created this concept of Jews as a religion. Or as religion is separate from nationhood. Right. Thank you. And then the Jews, I will be a national of the country I live in, but that's how we ended up in this mess. And with Zionism, well, that's where Zionism comes from. Zionism essentially says the Emancipation and the Enlightenment are failing. Jews are still being treated differently. Right. We're not being treated as regular French or German or British. So we have to be honest and say it didn't work. Defining ourselves as nation, you know, European nationals, but of a Jewish faith, didn't work. Let's go back to the national idea, which has always been our idea, and rebuild the nation. Auto-emancipation, in the words of Pinsker. Oh, that's so much. That's a lot. Right? That's too much after Pesach, I think. It is, it is. We actually ended... I'm still trying to digest from Pesach. I think, I think we ended where most classic Zionism classes or whatever begin. With the Enlightenment, so that's right? not a bad thing. All right. That, no. that makes me feel a little better. You know what I'm saying? You know, you know the Enlightenment yeah. and how the change and it was a response to... Yeah. To the, yeah. All right. But that's good, though, because that means we it's a, it's like a good closed circle. Uh, we'll leave it here. It's a lot of food for thought, we hope. Uh, please let us know. We always want to hear from people, and we try to respond either offline or in the podcast itself when people try, you know, uh, contact us with questions or comments. We really always appreciate it. You can find us on our Facebook group, The Teacher's Lounge Podcast. You can uh, always find us and contact us directly on our website, uh, juisrael.jerusalemu.org. really don't like our URL, but what can you do? Uh, and please recommend us any way you can. Uh, boy, if you would rate our podcast on iTunes, that would be great. But you can always, you know, just recommend it to people. They can find it on Stitcher or iTunes or however. We really appreciate it. Our numbers are growing. But uh, we th- and we think that has to do with word of mouth. So thank you very much. Yeah, need more. Well, yeah. Hopefully it'll keep you know exponentially growing. All right. Thanks so much, everybody. Thanks a lot, Alan. Thanks, Mike. Bye bye. <laughs>